this video out of all the others I've made so far is the one video I've wanted to make the most. I was up late last night at probably 1 a.m. I couldn't sleep and the drive and the surge just began to well up in me that I needed to make a video about this topic. I needed to make a video about pornography, sex, this culture, the, the world we live in now. I needed to share my perspective with whoever would listen because it just needs to be done. A couple things before we get started that I want to make note of. First, I want to speak about this personally from my own experience. Sometimes when I listen to people talking about pornography on the internet, these kinds of things, they, they kind of detach the issue uh, and make it not as personal, which is helpful at times. But I want to be honest and real and, and be real where I'm bringing in things I've learned from my own mistakes, my own wrestlings with this addiction, and I want to share a little bit of my story with that. Second, I'm not necessarily afraid or scared to talk about this topic because I know what the numbers are. I know how many men and women, whether they say it or not, are addicted um, to this new drug. It's not a new drug, but the form that it's taken through the internet and its availability. It's a drug, and, and I see how it is shaping our culture around us, and I, I know the numbers. <laughs> Within the church, outside of the church, people I've talked to, friends, family, relatives. And so, look them up for yourselves. I don't even think I need to take the time. Most of us understand or have seen how pornography has affected us, our relatives, our friends. How it's changing our culture. How it's saturated our culture. The world. The world's culture. I'm going to speak from experience. I'm going to say some things that I've learned from my own subjective experience. I want you to take that with a grain of salt. And think about what I'm saying. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Not everything I say is going to be correct. Not everything I say you're going to agree with. Some of what I'm going to share is my subjective thoughts from my own experience. I'm going to share a little bit of research, things that others have said, and also what God has said. And hopefully, whether you're a Christian or not, if this is God's word, if, if, if he is true, if he loves us, and this is something that we all need to wrestle with, then what he has said is true. And, and we have to believe that. And that's a, that's a whole other topic for another time for those of you who don't believe um, the Bible and these things. But I wanted to share that with you before we start. I think I'm going to have to break this video into several different segments just because I don't want it to be too long. And long videos deter people from watching them. So that's just the reality of our goldfish attention spans nowadays. So expect maybe about five parts, maybe within three videos. So I have five sections. They might not make much sense now, but I'll be explaining them later. And the first is mind over matter, how what we think about affects how we act. Number two, emotional numbing, how as we go to our vices, whether it's pornography, alcohol, drugs, shopping, eating, many other things, how that numbs all of our emotions rather than just the ones we're trying to numb, like feelings of failure, etc. My third section is inordinate affections. I want to talk about how we're out of order desires, how pornography, it, it, grows in us a desire for things that are non-normative and i want to explain what is normal in in that and how pornography is purposely directing us away from what is orderly right and what we should be desiring the fourth section is about love and intimacy and the design of sex why god made it and i want to show you all christian non-christian that the creator god we are the reason the devil is attacking sex so much in our culture is because it is revealing a crucial part of how he feels about us his love for us and that is in that is seen within the symbol the example the metaphor of of sexual love and intimacy within marriage it's it's a beautiful thing 
So the fifth section is about Satan's opposition against God, his agenda plan to destroy the family, destroy the image example of what sex is, to hide God's true nature, his love from us. And I want to talk about how that's playing out in the culture around us. Forgive me, I'm not going to have the sources for absolutely everything that I mention in this. A lot of this is stuff I've heard over the course of my life, things I've heard offhand in conversations, this and that. How much of it is true, how much of it isn't, that's for you. I'm going to present everything to you. And if I can find sources for this stuff, I'm going to put it in the, the comment section below. I'm going to present as much as I can. But this is for your thought. Again, not every, you're not going to agree with me completely, so that's okay. But again, this is just trying to put words to a conversation that needs to be had. So our first section, mind over matter. But I want to talk about a study that was done where men were sat down in a brain scanning room. I forgot what kind of machine that was, but your brain is hooked up to a machine and it measures the electrical impulses of the brain and they showed men different pictures. Uh, this study was done a while ago. I'm like, I, I just remember because I heard it years ago when I was quite young. And the men saw pictures of tools and pictures of women and pictures of nude women and, and scantily clad women. What was interesting was the picture, the part of the brain that lights up when a man, man saw a tool, a, a hammer, a saw, it was the same part of the brain that lit up when they saw a naked woman, for example. It's this kind of object, ob we call the objectification of women, right? We, we look at when men looking at women and women looking at men, this can happen the way, looking at each other, not as human beings, as people with emotions and feelings and desires, hopes and dreams, but as an object for us to use, for us to take greed, to take and to use for something we want, sexual gratification. You know, I want you, I desire you, but not in a good way. It's to use you, to abuse you. Um, this can happen even in a marriage, this kind of, you know, unhealthy love, or wouldn't even call it love, unhealthy lust. We won't call it love. That's not love. It's lust. And so moving ahead, another study was done. Again, I can't remember where I heard this, where there were three groups. There was a group that sat in a room and did nothing. There was a group that sat at a piano and played the piano for 10 minutes. And there was another group that sat at a piano and thought about playing the piano. Now, what was interesting was there was no effect in the group that did nothing. That was the control. But the other two groups both had an increased proficiency in playing the piano. And what was interesting is they measured their brains in this study. Both of them, there was a part of their brain that lit up whenever they thought about playing piano or whether they played piano themselves. This is also what happens when people watch movies. They see violence, they see shooting, they see sex. A lot of times there's a part of the brain that lights up. Some of this information I got out of the documentary Out of Shadows, which you guys should check out, where part of the brain lights up where it can't tell whether you're actually doing it or whether you're watching it. It, it so what's interesting is there's there's this part of the brain that lights up whenever an action is perceived as being done or whether it's actually being done. And so when we're sitting here watching pornography, we, me, we're creating a pathway in our brains that gets worn in like a track, like a well-worn track, the trail. It gets run. It turns into a highway eventually. And that mental pathway can then it can be easily triggered and activated. I mean, this is kind of how an addiction is caused. And so this mental rehearsal can then lead into physical action. They're actually doing the thing. This plays into another, another issue, such as looking at pornography as a drug. So instead of moving from a heavier narcotic within, you know, drug, if you have a drug addiction, you know, you need to move to a heavier narcotic to stimulate the dopamine receptors in the brain. Novelty is 
the harder narcotic for pornography. It, it is the novelty, the, the new thing, the new thing that you're looking at, the new kind of sexual activity. That is what activates the dopamine receptors when they, they're just not getting filled with the same old vanilla stuff that we that you or I have been watching. Like it, this is this is how it works. And that's why people move into just kind of odder or weirder or more disgusting perverted pornography because they're looking for that novelty to trigger the receptors. Because when I was seven, probably seven or eight when I first saw and started looking at pornography and by the way that's the average age nowadays it was it was i didn't even need to i didn't even know what pornography was i wasn't even looking at that it was just pictures of of you know some not nothing compared to what's on the internet now but as you grow up as i grew up those dopamine receptors they need more and so novelty or more new things is is that that next level, that next step. And so again, getting back to mental rehearsal, let's say someone feeds on violent pornography, rape, these kinds of things. And it's maybe it's staged, maybe it's real. Who knows what they're finding on the internet nowadays? And they rehearse it over and over and over. And at one point they need to do the real thing because it's just not working anymore for them to look at it. And for goodness sake, I wonder in my heart, like, is this why we have the increase in these kinds of sexual assaults abuse you know all the title nine training that everyone needs to do on college campuses nowadays is this a result is it because we have allowed our minds to create pathways and and i I don't know i think that it is very possible that the 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 pornography use of as our nation as the world is is having this consequence of people now this isn't for every person of, of course but could it could it statistically be shown that this is increasing the amount of violent sexual assaults or or just sexual whatever unwanted sexual contact between just the confusion that we have today with you know we need to have very clear boundaries in relationships these i don't know i just i wonder if it's because we've we've allowed this monster so to speak in and it's just started to create pathways in our brains and coming back to the bible with this i i just i couldn't help but think when jesus talks about murder and adultery he says if you've lust after a woman if you've hated your brother in your mind you have committed the sin he traces the sin all the way back to its inception in the mind because he knows he jesus made the brain and he knows he's like this this is the heart it's not the outward appearance i mean it even says this in i think it's first samuel you know god looking at the inward heart man judges by the outside god looks at the inward heart he sees that it starts in the mind your sin this this pattern starts in the mind so that's why i look at society and i wonder we've we've allowed our and i'll define the word sin you know that it's not what god wants it's the disorder it's hey i didn't make you for this that's what sin is and we're we're allowing it this this wrong way of thinking to grow and grow until it, it leads to these kinds of ramifications that's how i'm i'm seeing things the second part of this is about emotional numbing my sister made me sit down and watch a uh, ted talk by dr Brene brown and she was talking about how you cannot selectively numb emotions you either numb everything or you numb nothing and that really spoke to me because i understand how i go to pornography because there's an unwanted emotion there is strife there's turmoil and and in, in in a second i can be i can release a euphoria of emotions in my body it's the releasing of internal you know sexual chemicals that that release a a pleasurable feeling it immediately can take away that that negative emotion for a moment the problem is instead of facing those emotions and this could be done with with sex normal sex anything shopping alcoholism anything when we don't confront those emotions and instead just numb them everything gets numbed 
those those emotions those things don't get dealt with they just get stuffed down and so fear anxiety depression anger inadequacy worry feelings of failure these things if we don't deal with them and instead just go to our vices whatever that is alcoholism drugs these these this shopping for goodness sake gossip maybe for some i've heard this someone told me that that was there they do that if we don't confront these emotions I would say as a Christian, ultimately talk to God about them, wrestle with them with God. Instead, we go to our other idols, gods, things in our lives, and we can talk about that later. We go to those things, and we just, we, 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 we numb for the, for the moment, temporary, temporary fix, so to speak. I mean, video games have also been this kind of escape for me as well. It, movies, Netflix, anything. I mean, it, it's it's an, it's an, a, a call to escape. You know, we, we have an escapist mentality. Reality's tough, so we escape, we escape. And maybe in some ways it's good to get away from stresses, but when they're never dealt with, they never get dealt with. And then years go by and the problem gets worse. So as opposed to a drug addiction where a external substance is introduced to the body, pornography is, is kicking up chemicals that are already in the body. And so I don't know all the brain chemistry for all this, but a good source that I got a lot of information from was the Conqueror series, which was like a Christian um, documentary series about this topic. I wish they didn't charge so much for it. Honestly, if I had put it together, I'd want it to be free. But again, I didn't, and I don't know what the cost is. But that's where they have a good discussion, I think, in part three or two about brain chemistry. They do a good job talking about this, this same kind of stuff if you want more information. But two things I want to talk about in conjunction with emotional numbing. Pornography use, due to how it utilizes dopamine, that the pleasure, I guess it's the reward hormone uh, or the reward chemical in the brain, dopamine is a key component in motivating and motivating us to do things, eating even, eating food. Um, and so for me, the biggest criticism people have of me is, hey, you're lazy. You don't do anything. You are, are, you're a sloth. You're sloth-like at times. And they're completely right. Now, I don't want to excuse my behavior because we can explain. I just want to explain it. It's still my fault that I am lazy and this and that. But it's interesting that my porn use has led to my apathy, my lack of doing things. And that's why making a video like this is very important to me because I'm doing something. I need to do something about this problem. I want to fight back against it. And so the way dopamine is used in the brain, it messes up the rewards cycle or system in the brain. And so for someone like me, when it's almost fried, it's like I'm fried. I sit there feeling nothing, numb, as Brene Brown was saying, just numb, numb, because the drug I've kicked up in my own body has paralyzed me. I don't, I don't want to do anything. I've already rewarded myself. I've already, but I've done nothing. With fake sex, that's how I've rewarded myself. I, I don't, it, nothing. And you sit there paralyzed. And so I've seen this in other people as well. Another consequence of porn use that i've noticed is how and maybe we'll talk about this later too in like god's original design it is a it it's supposed to bond us to our spouse that's one of the original designs it's a beautiful thing and so that's why you see in these breakups where people have had sex there's so much pain because they're literally I mean oxytocin being released the cuddle hormone women binding to the man vice versa just like like the the soulish bond that happens within sexual relationship it's not just physical it's not just a it's not just a sport it there is and this is well in our modern society we don't acknowledge the soul necessarily like we might think it's there but we can't prove it with science but the reality is that there is a soul in these kinds of things in a, in a sexual relationship there is a binding that happens 
within that. And that is why we see so much heartbreak. That is why we see so much hurt. Again, I'm operating out of a biblical worldview. If you don't, then people disagree with this, but that's just how it is. And so moving into the third section, inordinate affections. I have to have a disclaimer here. I'm going to mention um, homosexuality and gender. And listen, I know some of you guys aren't going to agree with that. That's a whole topic in itself. And just if you don't agree with what I'm saying, just put it to the side. I don't want you to miss the main thing that I want to get at, which is, you know, why why is sex here? Why is it why is it something God made? You know, why you know and I want you to get at that because it really reveals the heart of God, his love for us and and, and if this isn't helpful, just skip it or or just don't listen to what I'm saying because I know that this is a heated topic, you know, gender and all this stuff and I'd like to talk about it at a later date, but I, it's worth mentioning now. So a couple of things is about inordinate affections, out of order affections. Pornography exposes us to things we would have never thought of, things I could have never thought of, dreamed of, imagined. It is all there for our consumption almost immediately <laughs> from, you know, a seven-year-old surfing the website like I was. The categories section, oh my goodness, I never thought of those things. And there it is right there. And your curiosity, at first, my childhood innocence, I'm not going to click on that. But years go by, five years go by, curiosity, and you click those things and you start to expose yourself to things you would have never thought of. That's number one. Number two, it promotes out-of-order affections. Now, a great Bible teacher I had back at Moody Bible where I went to school or am going to school, he was saying, inordinate affections is, it's not the the way that God meant for you to, your heart to desire, so to speak. And so the problem with the church nowadays is they like to focus on certain types of inordinate, out-of-order desires. Then there's, for, for example, homosexuality. There's such a focus on that, yet there's a complete ignoring of other types of out-of-order affections. And I'll get into that in a second. Before we get into what inordinate affections are, these kinds of things, I want to talk about God and his order. I was talking to a friend of mine, Daniel, and he was talking to me about how Augustine was would describe God and, and, and sin and evil and, and God being light, God being perfect light, perfect order, perfect goodness. And as we and as we move away from light, what is there? There's darkness. The absence of light, there's darkness. And if we can kind of wrap our mind around that being good and evil in a way, I think this is a helpful analogy. If it's not, then forget about it. But if we look at like like God is order, and as we move away from him, there's, there's disorder. That's what sin is. And so when we see, well, why is this sin? Why is this wrong? Well, it's like, well, God, as there's physical operatings of this world, there's a moral operating of the world. I think as a, we see this in the legal system. We're like, well, that's right. That's wrong. Well, just as things, just as heat is transferred from one object, light diffracts off metallic objects, there's, there's physical properties to the world, right, that we see. There's also the moral operatings, and we see this in, in our legal system. And so I see that being sourced from God. God's very character is, this is what's right. This is how I made the world to operate. I made the world to operate within these guidelines. And so what does that mean? Well, God talks about things like incest, homosexuality, bestiality, lust for someone who isn't your spouse, all of these things. And so this is what pornography fosters. It, 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 it champions these inordinate affections because God says, hey, I made and this is getting into our next section a little bit, but I made sex as a beautiful, a beautiful form of intimacy and communication between you and your spouse. And you can show your love, give your love to them. And it is a beautiful, mutual form of communication of intimacy of love. But it's been turned into a sport. It's been it's been confused and, and ultimately and so the point I'm trying to make is these inordinate these out of order affections. These are these are ways that 
hey, God didn't make it this way. And that's why he says they're wrong. That's why he says, hey, don't do this. I didn't make it. It's like you're, you're using a machine, you're, the human body being the machine. You're using it the wrong way. I didn't make it to, to do that. I didn't, you know, I didn't make the human body com- sexually compatible with animals. I didn't make it uh, sexually compatible with, with the same sex necessarily. I mean, again, I, I know people are going to disagree, but like this is, this is the point. This is how God said, hey, I made the human body this way. And so, especially incest, I see this just kind of popping up. I'm being honest, I still struggle with pornography. And, and I, I see this from time to time with, with the content that they just put out there. And so, almost fostering, again, these kinds of abnormalities. The same thing with pedophilia and bestiality, and you'll see this stuff. And I know pedophilia is kind of like, oh, well, no, they don't allow that. No, there is a, a growing, and I'll put a link in the description. There are hidden pedophilia networks, you know, on in the internet um, with, with, with keywords and source codes. I, I just watched a video exposing a lot of this, and he actually wrote a report to the FBI, and now a lot of it's been scrubbed because the hidden networks on YouTube and Yandex and this and that, they were... Uh, they were exposed. But then even, maybe there's a little bit of conspiracy in me talking, but even in the high echelons of this government, we see uh, this kind of pedophilia, claims that, that people are partaking in pedophilia and the WikiLeaks emails and this kind of stuff, like whether you agree with that or not. But this kind of stuff is 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 much more prevalent than we think. It, it's, and it's, it's, it's awful and horrendous. But yet this is what the system, the porn system, advocates for, pushes forward. Again, because as your brain, it needs a better kick. It needs the bestiality, the, the homosexual uh, content. The, it, it, it goes to these things as, as a form of novelty. And again, homosexuality, that's, there's, a lot, there's a lot more that could be said there. Very complicated. But I, I did want to stress this point. Moving into our fourth section, I wanted to talk about some of my own personal reflections and the things I've learned about God through my own journey and process. 13 or 14 years of a porn addiction has taught me this, that it is true love and intimacy that I desire, not the act of sex. And I realize from my friends who are sleeping around and are engaged in casual sex, they tell me this. They're like, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so dirty and broken? <sighs> that is the consequence of this sex without true intimacy and true love, an empty transaction, a sport, because that is not how God made this. The devil is attacking. You believe he's real or not? Again, I'm sharing my opinion. The, de- the devil is attacking sex because it reveals the inner love of the triune God. I was listening to Dr. Michael Reeves. He was at a conference at my school, and he was talking about how God has to be a Trinity because in the in the first in First John, I believe, chapter four, it says God is love. God cannot be a, cannot be love if he is a, a singular being because he has no one to love, and yet God is triune. This is something that the Christian faith believes in. He can't be a singular being. What is it? Self love of a singular God. No, he's triune. The the mutual love to, of of the Father to the Son, through to the Holy Spirit, to you know, uplifting the Son. It, it's giving. It's always giving, and that's what's interesting. It's like even with love, it's giving glory. It's always focused on the other. The Father giving glory to the Son. The Son giving glory to the Father. It's all giving. And the same thing with sex. It's about not about taking. Oh, I married this spouse so I can have sex whenever I want. No, it's about giving, giving, giving. And she is supposed to give or your spouse. I mean, this is this is what the model is: giving, not taking. 
And so focusing on the other rather than yourself. And so this is the model of love. And this is what God wants with us. And this is the key that the same Hebrew word used for God when knowing his people is the same word used when a when Adam knew his wife. It's it, sex. It was referring to this deep intimacy. And so what I think is interesting is that God wants this with his people. Remember, God is, is presenting himself as a, as a father figure, the son of God. In, in the masculine, he's representing the fatherly qualities, the life giver. But in essence, I mean, God created male and female. He created sex. He created the image. So, But he wants that intimacy and love with his people. Because what sex is about isn't just sex. It's about intimacy and love and connection and, and vulnerability and acceptance. That's what it's about and, and being fully known and loved. And so this is the original design. And this is why, and, and if man knew this, if we knew this, if even we as Christians fully understand this, we wouldn't have some sort of distant deity that we need to be scared of because it isn't fear that motivates us to, 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 to obey and love God. It is love. And this is the key, that it's always been love. And also, if I might add in my own personal journey, love is what helps me understand God's sorrow and suffering, which in turn helps me understand why there is a need for judgment and justice. As I read in Psalm 139, where David, he transitions from how much God loves him and he loves God, and he's talking about slaying the wicked. I never understood that. I'm like, what's the transition? But I, I, for me, maybe I'm completely wrong. But I I understand in my own heart that God's was you as you start to feel as God feels and love as he loves you, you start start to see how God loves other people and you start to see how when they're hurt you're hurt and you start to see who's doing that evil to them you're like they must be stopped something has to be done and and this all hinged upon my understanding of human agency that we have free will that we have choices to make that we aren't puppets on a string that God has given us the ability to make choices to do and to act and to love and to hate and to fear and to run and we have choices and so we're held accountable to them. And so as, as I see this, that God is loving and suffering and being, and that anger is a second. It's not, God isn't wrath, but, but it's a result of his love. Because he loves, he is angry at the injustice. I mean, think about how much our, our society cries and, and fights injustice. How do you think God feels? This is why it says, and I believe it's 1 Corinthians, I think chapter 13 at the end of the chapter, it says, leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's judgment because he, he will make all things right. He's the righteous judge. He's the one who's most offended. And so we have to understand that, that just, just because God doesn't bring, and this is something I wrestle with all the time, why doesn't God just come right now and fix it? There's a lot of reasons. For, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I don't understand. Maybe it's to invite more people into knowing him something like that i'm not sure but god hasn't come and fixed the earth yet he hasn't come yet to to do final justice justice is a good thing it's a beautiful thing that i long for i look for we all should because it's 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 our heart's cry being finally put at rest and there's a lot there that we could go into but that was kind of a tangent but that, that's why this is so important, understanding that this example of, of love and marriage and, and sexual love and intimacy is is, is, is is like an example or symbol of God. I think it's interesting when we look at the creation of man and woman in the garden, they are made in the image of God together. And so there, there's something there. There's a, there's a mystery there of, of God and putting his image in us, male and female, the two being different, but yet together, you know, a picture of God. I, there, there's something mysterious and beautiful there. And, and I believe that's what the devil is attacking. That beauty, that intimacy, that love that of, of, of mutual connection between a man and a woman. There's something beautiful there that the devil doesn't want us to see because it is, is, it is allowing us to peer into the heart of God. This transitions into the next section, which is Satan's opposition, his agenda against God. And ultimately, I believe it comes down to this, boiling it down to the main point. 
the devil is the little g god of this age. He has power in this age. And so his job is to lie about who God is to us and even slander us before God. And Job, the book of Job is a picture of this. He's the accuser. Is it? I mean, I believe devil means accuser. He's the accuser. Satan meaning the adversary. That's what those words mean, devil and Satan. So he's accusing us before God. He's slandering God to us. That's his job. That's why That's why there's all this, you know, atheism. I understand atheism. I'm not mad at atheists. You've, we are all lied to about God consistently. But it is our choice to believe those lies or not. And, and if we don't have a good person, a good pastor or teacher or someone who knows God to explain him, then we're lost. Like I was. I was lost for a good year on who God was as a Christian at a Christian school. I hated God. Because I didn't know who he was. I didn't really know. And that's why we all have to make it our responsibility to seek God for ourselves. Don't just listen to what other people say. Because they might not know God. They might not be portraying him correctly. And by the way, the, the book of James says that people who teach, who talk about God, who try to teach others about it, they're held to a higher standard. Teachers, even me right now telling you these things, if I don't speak rightly about God, I'm held accountable for that. And so that's why I'm trying to be honest with you. Because I have to stand before God and say, hey, remember when you made that video about this? I mean, were you speaking rightly about me? Well, I hope so. I'm doing my very best to because literally like the words that I'm saying, if they're true about God, that's going to change someone's life and vice versa. So this is serious stuff. And so that's the key. The devil is is a liar. And so I see how he is using pornography to to destroy again that picture and example of what beautiful a beautiful marriage is and, and, and what love is within the Trinity. Uh, leading to divorce, leading to the destruction of the family unit, you know, off-putting then, you know, so the family unit doesn't then instill, you know, values into into children. Instead, the state takes over, which is what they want. You know, I, I would say that ultimately some would want this, not all. But the state takes over the imparting of moral infrastructure. They get to define what's right and wrong morals, which isn't right. That's not the state's job. That's what God has done. You know, we want to separate belief from, I guess what we do in our day-to-day but that's nonsensical because what we believe affects how we act and so the family unit should be the place that is instilling moral values not the state but then the state can then instill moral values and control people better and sadly i i see that this is what's happening so i wanted to end on a personal note and uh, a, also a call for your help as well one of the things that i've been wrestling with over the years of my fight with this addiction is what it is I have to do to be free. Now, one thing I think about a lot that explains this situation is, I believe it's Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks about, or chapter 6, I think it's Romans 7, where Paul talks about doing what he doesn't want to do and not doing what he wants to do. And I realize the nature of addiction or sin as it is, it really is summed up by that verse especially as Christians, I have the internal desire to want to do something contrary to what I'm actually doing. I do what I don't want to do. And this is what how, what Paul talks about in Romans. And so I've lived that most of my life. And so first I'd say I've done so much to aid myself to be free from this. Uh, internet accountability with Covenant Eyes, uh, gone to essay meetings, had group discussions, watched seminars, been to um, different meetings. And what I realized is the most important is community, but also more important than that is faith. I realized that each and every one of us has a struggle in our life, and it is faith 
And, and let me change what trust that God will bring us through it. And I realize that my trust in God, that he will be faithful. I believe this is in Philippians. He'll be faithful to complete what he's started in us, or maybe it's not in Philippians. But also it says that God, and this is in Philippians, God is giving us the desire and the will. I believe the translation is to do what pleases him, the desire and the will working in our hearts. We call this the theological term is sanctification, but God's working in us to make us do what is what he has deemed as good, the order that I was talking about earlier. But with all that, there is human responsibility. And this is something I've wrestled with for years. And a friend of mine told me the other day, hey, don't put off to God what he's put in your hands. And I'm mainly talking to the Christians at this point, but I can say I have the power to stop this because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in me forgot what verse that is. I don't have them memorized. I'm sorry, but they're in my heart somewhere. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And so I have the power to overcome sin. And I'm not guaranteed victory over it if I don't choose to fight for it. And that's something that's that's sobering and hard to hear. Because especially at some of the Christian institutions I was at, I was told, no, you know, this is all God. He'll do it for you, you know, in your life. Sometimes we make God too sovereign, if that's possible. And what I mean by that is, we completely forget about our human responsibility on this earth. We are not puppets. We are not robots. We are humans. We have choices. And common sense tells us this, but sometimes people in their theological bubbles to make sense of certain frameworks, they can forget about our human freedom, our human responsibility, how that causes evil, why, how that makes sense of sin. And in some frameworks, God has turned into a monster where he is deterministic, which is funny because there's forms of naturalism, like an evolutionary thought, which, you know, gets rid of God, where, you know, everything's determined by biochemical laws and physics. And it's funny how you kind of end up at the same wrong notion where everything's determined, even if you're Christian or if you're not. It's just interesting how that can happen sometimes. But no, we there's a soul in you and me. And I have to utilize the power God's given me to overcome the sin in my life. Sin, sin being uh, missing the mark, disorder, whatever, other words for it. Sin can get lost on that word, can get lose people. It's, it's what's wrong. We know it in our hearts. God's written his law on our hearts. I believe that's in Jeremiah. Well, it, it speaks about it in Romans, I believe, 2, chapter 2. But God has written the law, his, his, his order, what's good what is good and right on our hearts. And we know this. We sear our consciences. But he wrote it down for us. Thanks. You can go talk to uh, your, your Jewish friends for that. The Mosaic Law. That's what that is. They've had it for thousands of years. The Mosaic Law. Um, and Jesus came and actually restated most of that law. Much of that law um, when he came. But my call for help is that you would pray for me. It is June 7th. 2020 coronavirus and i'm still wrestling with this addiction and i believe uh i have a whole story i could share but it's been a long time it's been years and years and years and years since i was a child sometimes i feel like it's not fair god i had such an early exposure god's like i know it is impossible for you to overcome this but i've given you the power to do it we're gonna do this together that's what i believe god says to all of us he said to me i haven't heard that but i believe that because that's the character of jesus and he says to everyone you know the blind the the, the the woman who had bleeding the the blind people do you believe i can heal you yes i believe so Yes, I believe you can heal me. And so, why does healing look different? It's not instantaneous for me, it wasn't. But I've seen a lot change in my heart over the last, especially four years. Especially when I went off to go to a Bible school. Just because I was surrounded, not because of the Bible school, but because I was surrounded by people who knew God. Who cared about Him. That was the main thing. And church does the same thing. That's the whole point of church. Go to people who are supposed to be know God. They're supposed to know him and talk to him and help you through these things. And so that's the community aspect. Um, and the coronavirus has actually not helped that because, you know, I've been alone for a lot of this. 
um, churches have been shut down, that kind of thing. Um, but my prayers pray for me because I realize that there's a spiritual battle. We don't acknowledge angels and demons much anymore, but they're real. And I've talked about it in other videos on my channel. Um, and I've had sleep paralysis and stuff like that. And I talk about that a lot in a lot of other videos, but that stuff's real. Um, angels and demons are real and pray for me, pray against those things. Pray that I will overcome this because I know I will. I know I will. I've determined it in my heart and it's, it's a matter of me grasping it and, and, and believing what God has said, hey, you're free, but you got to walk in it. you got to fight with the, the sword I've put in your hand. And so that's where I'm at right now. And it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, the, 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 the years of, of, of inroads that I've made, it's just from the years of addiction. But I know I'm not alone. I know there are many men and women in the same boat. That's why I'm making this video. It's for those who don't know and those who do. I mean, we need to have this conversation needs to be had and the, the shame and the depression and the guilt. We need to put that to the side because number one, that's from the devil. If we come to Jesus with that, it gets rid of it. Different. If, if we feel, if we're hiding the sin, you know, conviction, God's like, hey, you, you need to come out because you're not going to get healed staying in the dark. That's how the devil keeps you in addiction, in the isolation. Um, you need to come out. That's what that, that conviction is, you know. And God was, hey, you're clean. That's what Jesus did. He paid for it all. But the depression, the guilt, that's from the devil. So there's a difference. That conviction is going to lead you to come into the community, bring into the light, and, and find a good community who's going to embrace you and not just shame you. Because, um, again, that's the devil's, the devil's tools, that shame. And so, uh, but I make this because I know what the numbers are. You know, I know what it was at my school. I know how many men and women were struggling with this. I talked to them. I talked to them. Friends who call me because people know I will talk about this. I'm very open about this, but I know the numbers. I know in the church, outside the church, people I meet on the street, like it's everywhere people. I mean, you don't have to look far. And what gets me most is, is the younger generation. They have the, they have the cell phones. I mean, I had a cell phone when I was like seven, eight, but they got it even younger and they're looking at stuff. <laughs> I hear how they talk. You know, I know when we come on with it, let's not, I mean, the average exposure is going to get younger and younger and younger. It's just technology. And so pray for that. Pray for the, you know, the nation, the world is large. Pray for me. Uh, and I hope that this video, though, it doesn't answer all questions. And it's, you know, it, it's a starting place for, for me, at least, and for others. I hope to, to put words to the conversation, provide a framework, uh, and create discussion. Hopefully the comment section will be a place where there can be discussion, not argument about this topic because we need to talk about it and i hope that yeah there's a lot more that could be said but i think suffice it now i'm gonna break this into a couple videos and we'll go from there god bless you guys pray for me i'm praying for you i pray that you start to grab if you're not a christian like explore god he loves you you gotta seek him for yourself you know and ask those hard questions about the bible Ugh, ask them like I didn't, I did not like the Bible. Paul, who is this? Like, ask those questions. There's a re like, there's a reason it's it is an authority in my life. I had to believe that it didn't come overnight. I'll tell you that. I get it. If you're an atheist, agnostic, I get it. I'm not mad. Like this is the whole. You're not the enemy. The devil is okay. And and the whole point is what you believe. It's very important. And so you need to explore those things. Ask those questions. I share my doubts. I'm not here to hide them. I'm not. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not scared to acknowledge my own doubts about Christianity and God. But I, I, I know what I've seen in the Bible, and I know my own personal experiences too. And that's that's something that I realize we need to talk about and explore more um, when we come to faith and these kinds of things. So, anyway, uh, video is getting a bit long. Well, I guess I'm gonna break them up, so it doesn't matter. But God bless you, and I pray that God meets you in whatever you are struggling with. That's my prayer. God, you would meet everyone watching this video. 
Jesus name, amen. Bye-bye.